Thank you for tuning in to Dream City Omaha Online. We hope you like this message and that it has an impact on your life. Don't forget to like and subscribe for more. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Good, good. Winter is here. My goodness. Like everyone, you know, everyone's like, oh, fall's the best and fall this and pumpkin spice and blah. And like, I would, I would like fall as much as well if it lasted longer than two weeks. I'm just, I'm just going to say, although I am glad that they were wrong and it didn't snow this week because that would have really been, uh, I would, I probably would have canceled church this morning. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's good to see you guys. It's good to be with you. Matthew chapter 22 is where we are going to be uh, this morning. For those of you that maybe you're just joining us, maybe you're watching online, a friend shared the video. What we've been doing as a church this year is back in January, we started reading through the Bible together chronologically. So we started in Genesis chapter 1. We read through the entirety of the Old Testament. In October, we got to the birth of Jesus. And so we celebrated Christmas back in October. That's when Jesus was born in our plan. And, uh, and we've been reading through the Gospels together. We're almost to the end of the Gospels. We celebrated Christmas in October. We're going to celebrate Easter in a couple of weeks when Jesus raises from the dead. Spoiler alert for those of you that haven't gotten there and you're reading, let G Jesus does come back to life. Um, and so we've been reading through it together. Today, Matthew chapter 22 is where we're going to be. For the last couple of weeks, I've, I've told you that laughing engages our brain and prepares us for learning. It gets us in a, in a mindset. It gets those synapses firing and prepares us to, to be in a learning environment. So I told you a couple of jokes the last couple of weeks, how that I'm at 38 years old embracing dad life. And the, the best part of dad life is dad jokes. I, I, I believe that. And so told you a couple jokes last couple weeks. This week, um, here, here's the joke to, to help, again, set the tone and prepare you to learn today. So again, as always, if you laugh, you'll learn something. If you don't laugh, you're just agreeing not to learn anything today. Um, and so, so here's the joke. What did one hat say to the other hat? What did one hat say to the other hat? You stay here. I'm going to go on ahead. Some of you got it. Some of you are just now getting it. Some of you got it and didn't think it was funny. You must not be a dad. <laughs> you stay here. I'm going to go on ahead. Matthew chapter 22. With that, we're going to get into the reading of the word of the Lord. Verse number 15. Here's what the Bible says. Then the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. Now, last week, we saw another example and another time when the Pharisees did the exact same thing. Last week, they brought this woman who they had caught in the act of adultery and brought her before Jesus to trap him and, and ask the question, the law says that she is to be stoned, but teacher, what do you say? That's not the first time either. Throughout the Gospels, we see whether it's the Pharisees or the Sadducees or different leaders of the day coming and trying to trap Jesus and get him to say something that they can use against him. Has it worked well to this point? No. My question is like, when are they going to learn? They continue, well, that trap didn't work. Maybe it'll be this trap and that trap didn't work. Maybe we should ask him this. And it is not one of the traps that they set does Jesus actually get trapped in, but they trap themselves 
in those moments. So they, they devised this plot. They come up with another test, and it says that they sent some of their disciples along with the supporters of Herod to meet with him. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You teach the way of God truthfully. You are impartial. Don't play favorites. Now tell us what you think about this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So that's the trap that they've set. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, again, culturally, historically, Israel is, is living under Roman oppression at this time. So Rome would come in. They, they had conquered most of the known world. The Roman Empire is spreading. And as they went into these different nations and conquered them, they would allow them some freedoms. You can, you can, you can have your religion. You can have your gods. You can have your courts. You can continue to dole out justice according to your laws as you see fit, as long as it's under our ultimate authority. So they're living under Roman subjugation, but Rome was imposing heavy taxes upon them. That's why the tax collectors were, were some of the most hated people in the day, because they weren't Romans who were collecting taxes. They were, they were Israelites. They were Jews who were collecting taxes from their own people. So they were, they were viewed as sellouts, as turncoats, as those who, who would rather be with Rome than their own people. So they ask him, should we, should we pay taxes? Is it right? Is it not right? Now here's the trap. If he says, yes, you should pay your taxes, then all the people look at Jesus like they look at the tax collectors. Like here's this man, he doesn't care about us because he's taking Rome's side and he's telling us to pay our taxes. But, but if Jesus says, no, don't pay your taxes, then what, what's Rome going to do? They're going to find a cross and they're going to hang Jesus for this. Because when Jesus, was a, when Jesus was a boy, there was a, a revolt that was started based on taxes. There was a, a man named Judas the Galilean, and he found about 2,000 other people, and, and, and the emperor was coming through, and he was demanding a census be taken for the point of and the purpose of taxing the people. So he found about 2,000 of his friends and says, hey, don't go to the census because we're not going to pay taxes. What did Rome do? They made 2,000 crosses. They hung them on crosses on the hillside for all the people to see as a reminder of what happens if you don't pay your taxes. So if Jesus says, no, don't pay your taxes, Rome, all they can do is find another cross and put Jesus on it. And so he's asked this question, what should we do? What do you say? Is it right to pay taxes or not? Verse number 18, Jesus knew their evil motives. You hypocrites, he said. Why are you trying to trap me? Here, show me the coin used for the tax. They handed him a Roman coin, and he asked whose picture and title are stamped on it. Caesar's, they replied. Well then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God. And as always, his reply amazed them, and they went away. Lord, we thank you for your word today. God, I pray that as we... As we study your word, as we examine your word, God, as always, would you speak to us through your word? May we not just hear you in your voice today, Holy Spirit. May we not just, just feel your presence and experience your presence today, but God, that, that as we put into practice the principles and the truth of your word, Lord, that we would leave this place changed and challenged and transformed by the power of your word into your image. God, we need you today. 
We need you in our lives. We need you in our hearts. We need you in our homes. We need you in our families. We need you in our schools. We need you in our courthouses. We need you. We need you, God. We turn to you today, declaring our dependence and our need for you today, giving this time to you today. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Today, it's really quiet. <laughs> Today, I want us to, to look, and I want us to look at this text, and I want us to look historically, and I want us to look, if we could, to, to transport ourselves back 2,000 years, because this week is, is an important week, because this week is election week. And, and those of you that have been at Dream City, you know that I am, I am not one and I will never be one to get political. And I, I say that because, and here's what I mean by that, I'm, I'm not going to be one to stand up here and tell you, you need to vote this way or you need to vote that way. There are issues that are happening in our country and in our society that, that transcend politics and that are moral issues. And when those moral issues are contrary to God's word, then, then that is what I will speak out against because I'm not speaking on politics and I'm not endorsing a politician and I'm not saying that it's red or blue, that it's, it's, it's blood or crip, it's the donkeys or it's the elephants, that's, that's, that's neither here nor there because those things in the grand scheme of it all don't matter. Like they're important, but we also have to understand that when we stand before God, our, our hope and our, our goal in life is to one day hear good and faithful servant. And when you stand before the, the throne of judgment, you are not going to be judged. He's not going to look at the voting roll and say, well, in this election, you voted this way. And in this election, you voted this way. Your, your voting history will not come into play when you stand before God. What will come into play? Did you love God and did you love your neighbor? Did you live your life in a way that was worthy of the calling that he gave you? Did you cry out to Jesus? Did you submit and did you surrender and live your life as one surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ or not. And so it, it's, it's important to understand today, like, I want us to, to talk about this because I think there's this, this misnomer, either, <laughs> there's a lot of misnomers, and there's a lot of misinformation, and there's a lot of bad teaching on all sides. But there's this idea that Jesus wasn't political, but he was. Because this statement in and of itself, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God, that's a, it's a political statement. There's this idea that, you know, as divided as we are in this country, that it's never been like this before. <laughs> like it's such, it's, it's such short-term memory. It's recency effect. And because we're living in it, that's how we feel. But if we were living in Jesus' day, like they were living under oppression from a foreign government. Like you want to talk about politics. You want to talk about 
political passion and political division. Like it was more divided in Jesus' day than it is in the United States today. And in, in, in like just the, the hubris of us as Americans to make it all about us somehow. Like it's not about us. It's not even about America. It's about God's kingdom. And that is what I will always preach. And so, so I want us to today, if you'll, if you'll bear with me and promise not to, to throw any, any stones, because the reason I preached last week about not throwing stones is because I knew what I was going to preach this week. <laughs> but, but on the flip side, there's also this, this idea and this teaching that the separation of church and state, that religion and politics don't, they don't mix. Well, that's, that's not true either. It's not true either because your, your religion should influence your politics, but your politics should never influence your religion. And that's the, that's the point of the separation of church and state. And we've, we've got this idea that, well, it's in the Constitution. First of all, no, it's not in the Constitution. It was, it was in a letter written to the Baptist Association, the Danbury Baptist Association by Thomas Jefferson in 1802, and he wrote with the Establishment Clause, there is now a wall of separation between the church and the state. And what he meant by that was not that the church should not influence politics, but that the wall was to keep politics and the government out of meddling and interfering with the church. And that is what the wall separates, that there is freedom that we have in this country to worship who we want, when we want, how we want, and the government can't tell us otherwise. And it's not the opposite of that. And so there's this idea that, well, you shouldn't talk about religion, shouldn't talk about politics because the two don't mix. And it's like, no, I, they, they do. But we have to make sure that we're doing it right. And I think that's where we're missing it. That's where a lot of us are missing it. It's where a lot of churches are missing it. It's where a lot of pastors and teachers are missing it, that we are making the political argument superior to God's word, that we are elevating a political party or ideology above the kingdom of God. And when we look at scripture, we don't, we don't see Jesus withdrawing or removing or isolating or retaliating or any of these other things when it comes to politics. We're going to look at how Jesus responded. But first, I want to look at four different groups of people, four groups in Jesus's day and how they responded to politics. The first group I want to talk about is the Essenes. The Essenes were a, a group of people that we don't find them mentioned in scripture, but as you read historically, the, 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 the first century Jewish historian Josephus had a lot to write about the Essene communities. And the Essenes were essentially a, a people that their, their spiritual purity was the most important thing to them. And when they looked at society, not just Rome, but how that Israel had turned their backs on God and, and Rome as this pagan political party and this pagan government, this pagan system of rule came in and established dominance over Israel. They, they looked at culture, they looked at society, they looked at politics, and they said, you know what, it's just so messed up and it's so wrong that, that the only answer for us in our, in our attempts to maintain our holiness and our purity is to remove ourselves from society. And so what did they do? They went out and they lived in caves. 
the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is arguably one of the greatest archaeological finds of our day, the, the ancient manuscripts of entire books of the Bible dating back to the first century that were found in a cave. Most scholars and archaeologists believe that it was in a seen community living in Qumran that protected and, and placed the Dead Sea Scrolls there. And so there were, there were a group of people who removed themselves from society, and they believed that what God was going to do is he was going to look down and see a people who, who maintained their purity so well in, in spite of an unholy and an unrighteous culture that he would come and remove their enemies from power and bring the kingdom of God and give it to them. That was their goal. That was what they, they sought to do. The Historian Josephus, here's what he writes about the Essenes. He, in an excerpt from one of his books, says that before the sun rises, they utter nothing of the mundane things, but only certain ancestral prayers to God, as if begging him to come up. After these things, they are dismissed by the curators to the various crafts that they have, each come to know. And after they have worked strenuously until the fifth hour, they are again assembled in one area where they belt on linen covers and wash their bodies in frigid water. After this purification, they gather in a private hall into which none of those who hold different views may enter. Now pure themselves, they approach the dining room as if it were some kind of sanctuary. So this this picture of these people who, if you believe different than us and you live different than us, then you can't be a part of our community. You can't live with us. You can't eat with us. We won't shake your hands. We won't engage with you. Their response to politics was to, to isolate. Really, that's what they chose to do. They said that in light of where the world is today, the only thing that we can do is we can isolate ourselves from what's going on around us. And we see Christians who respond that way today, who, who live in their Christian bubbles and don't want to get outside of that because there's, there's danger out there and there's unrighteousness out there and there are sinners out there. Yes. And who are you called to minister to? Those people. So the Essenes, they chose to isolate. The second group of people is the Zealots. The zealous we do find in the Bible, but only, only in one way. We, we find that one of Jesus' disciples was named Simon, who they referred to as Simon the Zealot. Not Simon, whose name was changed to Peter. There was two Simons that were disciples. One was Simon, Peter, on this rock I will build my church. The disciple who denied Jesus, this is not the same Simon. But the Bible refers to him as Simon the zealot. The zealots were freedom fighters or terrorists, depending on your political leanings in that day. You either looked at them as freedom fighters or you looked at them as terrorists. One scholar said that the, the, the zealots were essentially Pharisees with swords. That's how he described the zealots. And what they, what they sought to do was to remove their enemies and remove those in power by means of physical violence. You can go back and you can read historically about a lot of the, the things that they did, where they, they would hide out in these areas and wait for, for political leaders to come by, and they would jump out, and they would, they would kill them in the streets and then run off, constantly trying to get people to join their cause. The zealots were ones that, that chose violence. Every day, they woke up, and they chose violence. The, the, the revolt that I told you about earlier that happened in 6 AD, they revolted against taxation. 
They chose violence. Most, most historians date the, the, the start of this group of people to that event in 6 AD. Jesus was just a boy. And these zealots came up because it was a response to the oppressive government that they were living under. And they said, the only thing that we can do is to, to fight back. What's interesting that Jesus chose Simon the zealot and Matthew the tax collector. And he said, I want you two not just to get along, but I want you two to be so unified in purpose. And you're going to follow me for the next three years. And then you are going to go and change the world by telling people about me. If Jesus could get a zealot, a one who looked at Rome and inside there was such animosity that rose up that caused him to pull out a sword and fight anybody in support of Rome and a tax collector, one who came to his own brother and said, everything that you have, give it to me because it belongs to Rome. And he could get these two people to be so unified. And yet here we are 2000 years later and we're, we're calling these people these names and we're calling those people those names. And even within the church, we're fighting amongst each other based on political leanings. We can't even get along together. We can't even talk about this today without some of you like getting itchy in your seats like, oh man, what's he gonna say? I guess I'm gonna have to find a new church. We can't even have a conversation today. And yet there was a zealot and a tax collector and they were, they were boys. They were together. They ate together. They walked together. They lived together. They had each other's backs. And today we find out that somebody votes a different way than we do. And it's like, we just write them off. I don't love Jesus. Could you imagine if Simon said that to Matthew? Matthew, how could you collect? You, you must not love Jesus. Matthew, you're politic. You must not love Jesus. And Matthew could look back at Simon the Zealot and say, well, you don't love Jesus. Because how can you condone this? And how could you support? Like we're getting caught in the weeds and we're getting dragged down. Why? Because that's the goal of the enemy is to bring division to what God has already unified. So the zealots, how did they respond to politics? The zealots, they chose to retaliate. You have the Essenes who they isolated. They said, we want no part of it. We're not even gonna be a part of society. You have the zealots who said, we're gonna pick up arms and we're gonna go to war and I'm gonna get violent about it. Then you have the, the Sadducees. The Sadducees are a group that is talked about in, in the Gospels, in the New Testament. They were the elitists of the day. They were the, 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 the wealthy ruling class of Jewish people. Now, now, the Sadducees were different than the Pharisees in a couple of ways theologically, and I don't want to get into their theology, but the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in the afterlife. They, they thought that whatever happened in this life, that when you died on this earth, that was it. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in demons. They didn't believe in anything supernatural. So when the Sadducees in the New Testament come to Jesus and ask questions, you'll notice every time they ask Jesus a question and it's from the Sadducees, it's always in a, a question about the supernatural. 
What's going to happen in heaven? Does heaven going to look like this? Who's going to be given to this man in heaven? Is, is she going to be his husband or hers? And so they have these supernatural questions because they don't believe in the supernatural. The Pharisees are so about the law that every time they ask Jesus a question, it's about the law. So the Sadducees were the wealthy. They, they were the ones who aligned themselves to Rome. And their attitude was, if you can't beat them, join them. Rome's come in, there's nothing we can do about it. So, so what we should do is just align ourselves with Rome. We should advocate for taxing because Rome will, will look at us and because we're supporting Rome, they're gonna give us positions of influence and authority. The Supreme Court of the Jewish day was the Sanhedrin. We see Jesus stand before the Sanhedrin. There were 70 members who made up this court. Most of those were Sadducees because they had aligned themselves with Rome and Rome put them in positions of authority and power. The Essenes, their response was to isolate. The Zealots, their response was to retaliate. The Sadducees, their response to politics of that day was to assimilate. If we can look more like Rome, then Rome will look more favorably upon us. Let's, let's just, let's do what they do. When in Rome, do as the Romans, right? That was their mindset and that was their attitude. The last group that I want to talk about is the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees we are somewhat familiar with. Yesterday at the men's meeting, I, I told the guys about the Pharisees and kind of went off on, on a little bit of a tangent because I think the, and I told them yesterday, I think the Pharisees get a bad rap and, and rightfully so because of how they treated Jesus and their response to him and seeking to have him arrested. But if, if we were alive in Jesus's day, I would venture to say that most of us would align ourselves with the Pharisees. Some of us would be zealots and we'd want to, We'd want to take up a sword. Some of us might be Essenes and just choose to, to isolate ourselves. Some of us, if we had enough money and connections and influence, we could find ourselves in the Sadducee party. But, but the Pharisees were a, a group of people by the people, for the people, of the people. It didn't matter if you had money or if you didn't. And, and really, the Pharisees came about as a, as a response to Israel's generations of disobedience. As we read through the Old Testament, we all were reading it like, when is when is Israel going to learn? When are they going to stop disobeying? Like, what is going on? Just live according to his word and live according to the law. And if you would just do what God told you to do, and that's what the Pharisees' heart was. The reason they were so about the law is because their goal really was to get people to, to take the law and not just read about it, not just have knowledge about it, but to apply it to their daily lives. Now, they went to the opposite end of a whole nother spectrum to where they couldn't even re recognize the Messiah when he came. But when it came to politics, they looked at the, the, the government as a necessary evil, that there's nothing that we can do about it. We have to play the game. And, and they didn't isolate. They didn't retaliate. They didn't assimilate. But what the Pharisees did is they chose to tolerate. They tolerated government. They, they recognized that it's there, but really there's nothing that we can do about it. So let's just... Let's just tolerate because this is just what it's going to be. It's never going to change. It's never going to be different. We're just going to have to make do. And these were the four predominant responses to the political culture of the day. And we look at all four of them and we look at Jesus's response in his life and the way that he lived. And we can see that all four of them were wrong. The Essenes isolated because they were concerned about purity. They washed themselves before they 
ate a meal. That, that's everything that they thought was not, not just the law, but how do, I, how do I maintain my purity? And so if you're unclean, I can't even have a conversation with you. And if you're a Gentile, you can't even sit at the table with me. And yet, how did Jesus live? He didn't, he didn't observe the, the ritual purity laws, but when there was a leper, what did Jesus do? He didn't say, be healed. He reached out and he touched them. He sat down with Gentiles. He sat down with tax collectors because Jesus didn't isolate based on purity. He said, it's not the the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick and that's who I've come for. We look at the zealots and Jesus didn't retaliate. He didn't come to bring violence. When Peter pulled out his sword and cut off the, the ear of the guard who was arresting Jesus, he said, Peter, knock it off. Because this isn't what it's about. This, this has to happen. If Jesus was a zealot, he would have called down the angels as he hung on the cross to remove the Roman government, to retaliate in that moment. How dare you crucify the son of God and call legions of angels down? But he chose not to. Because retaliation is not the answer. Jesus didn't assimilate, but Jesus didn't tolerate Jesus was so unique in that day. And we have to to understand that when we look at these responses to government and politics, we, we can see them in ourselves, but each and every one of them is so wrong. We've got Christians today who, in response to politics, they choose to isolate. Well, I'm not voting because the system is so messed up. I'm not even gonna play a part in that. It's, it's ridiculous. It's this and it's that. And so, so my response is to isolate. That's wrong. You shouldn't isolate. You have a responsibility and your responsibility is to participate. You have a vote. Your responsibility is to use it. There are men and women who have sacrificed to provide and protect the freedom that we have and the freedom that you have. And you need to use it. Our response is not to isolate. We've got so many Christians that are are zealots, that they retaliate. Well, I've never picked up a sword and I've never hurt somebody. No, you might not have picked up a physical sword, but you use your keyboard as one. You might not cut somebody for real, but you cut them with your words. You might not plot somebody's death, but you're plotting against them in your mind. You are plotting the downfall of this person or the downfall of that person or the downfall of this party or the downfall of this group. And in your mind, you are constantly plotting, how can we get back? It's a zealot mentality. Look at what they've done to us. How can we get them? How can we retaliate? That's a zealot mentality. Every day there are Christians who wake up and in in their words and in their social media and in their influence, wake up every day and choose violence when it comes to politics. Yet at the same time, we have so many Christians who are indistinguishable from the world because they've chosen to assimilate. If I look like the world and If I walk like the world and if I talk like the world, then maybe things will go smoothly for me and I won't get called out over here, but I won't get called out over there. So let me just lower my standard 
Rather than living according to the standard of God's word, let me live according to the standard of what society tells me to. We've got Christians who tolerate and have resigned themselves to the fact that this is just what it is, and I refuse to believe that. I refuse to believe that this is just what it's going to be. Is Jesus still the hope of the world? Okay, then we have to refuse to believe that this is just it. We're always going to be divided. It's always going to be red and blue. It's always going to be this party or that party. It's always, you're always going to have to pick a side. Really? Like, what a depressing way to live. Where's the hope in that? Where's the redemptive power of Jesus in that? Where's the power of the Holy Spirit to get us to, to live in a new way and to live a new life and to throw off our old selves and to look, look like Christ and to live according? Like, where's, where's, where's that? When you say this is all it's going to be, you throw all of that out the window and say, well, God, you might be powerful, but you're not that powerful. It's not all it's going to be. So we don't tolerate there is a, a life that we have been called to live and it's not to isolate and it's not to assimilate and it's not to retaliate and it's not to tolerate, but we need to live like Jesus lived. So the question is, okay, if we're not the zealots and we're not the scenes and we're not the Pharisees, we're not, who, who are we to be? You're to be Jesus. And what did Jesus do? What was Jesus's response? Jesus he didn't retaliate, he didn't assimilate, he didn't tolerate, he didn't isolate, but Jesus sought to elevate. He sought to elevate our perspective. He sought to elevate our way of thinking. He sought to elevate our, our way of living. Paul says in, in Ephesians chapter four, he says, you are you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like who? Created to be like who? The new self we are to put on is created to be like who? In true righteousness and holiness, you are being transformed into whose image? You are, you are in, in whose likeness? You're an ambassador of who? Of God. We read that in the New Testament. We read that in the Apostle Paul's writing, that daily we are being transformed into his image, into his likeness, into his, into his icon. That is who we are to look like. That is who we are to represent. That is what, when people look at us, that they should be seeing. Okay, if that's who we are created to look like, and if that's the image that we are to project, and that is who we are to magnify in our lives, what does a magnifying glass do? Makes things bigger. Your job is to magnify God in this world and in your life. Here's my question. If we are to put on his likeness to reflect him, to represent him, and to magnify him, then why is it that we all walk around and what we're trying to enlarge in our life is not the savior of the world, but it's our favorite politician? You were created to be like God, not to be like this party or that party. You are an ambassador of his kingdom, not this political ideology or that political ideology. Pastor John, it's important. You're right, it is, it is important. 
But what's most important? Is the most important thing getting people to vote the way you voted? In Matthew chapter 28, after Jesus rose from the grave and he's ascending into heaven, he says to his disciples, therefore go and make Republicans of all nations. Therefore go and make Democrats of all people. No. My job is not to to convert Democrats into Republicans or Republicans into Democrats or both of them into independents. My job is to preach the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying generation. So they experience the new life that comes from Christ. That's my job. And guess what? That's your job too. Pastor John, it's important. You're right, it is important. But here's my question to you. If people got on your social media, would they know who you were voting for without a doubt but not know that you love Jesus? Are you spending your time and your influence and your words trying to point people to a political ideology that is always going to be broken and leave them empty? Or are you spending your time in your words and your influence pointing them to Jesus, who is the hope that they've been needing and crying out for in their lives? Like, what, what are you using your influence for? Well, yeah, no, I, I get it. And, and yes, Jesus, but, but, but no, n- with all due respect, no buts. Like it's either about Jesus or it's not. Jesus didn't come. Listen, if Jesus came back today, like if, if Jesus, if Jesus just descended from heaven, middle of America, more of us rather than falling on our face in just laying at his feet, more of us would would tell Jesus, Jesus, you need to run for president. (laughs) Jesus 2024, that's my bumper sticker. (laughs) And we've been waiting because both parties are jacked up. And so we've been waiting and Jesus, we need you in the White House. We joke and we laugh. But deep down, so many of us would. I'd vote for Jesus. You won't even vote for Jesus in your marriage. And you want to vote for Jesus for the White House? You won't even vote for Jesus in your daily. You won't even spend time in his word. And you want Jesus to run your political party? Oh, we need Jesus in the White House. You know how we get Jesus in the White House? Get him in your house. We spend so much time fighting and arguing as Christians over politics and political ideologies. And it's like, listen, stop it. They did the same thing when Jesus showed up. Jesus is now the time that you're going to establish your kingdom. Look at what what Jesus says in the gospels. Jesus said, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. I didn't come to establish a political party. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over, but my kingdom is not of this world. You go to the scripture in Luke. 
Jesus constantly redirecting and seeking to elevate. The Pharisees said, when will the kingdom of God come? He says, it's, it's already here, but you can't see it. It's not going to be detected or vis- by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. For the kingdom of God is already among you. It's already here. It is me. It is, I've come to establish it. But just because it doesn't look the way that you expected or the way that you wanted or the, the way that you preferred or wrapped in your political party, you've missed it. Jesus didn't come to to get dragged down into those things, knowing that, yes, government is there and it's real and you need to play a part. So whatever is Caesar's, give to Caesar. There are things that belong to Caesar. As, As those who are living under government, we read that we are to pray for government and we are to to respect our leaders, and we are to do these things. So there are are things that belong to Caesar. Your vote belongs to Caesar. You have a responsibility to do your civic duty, to play your part as a member of this republic, to go out, and if you haven't voted, guess what? In two days, you have the opportunity to go and let your voice, voice be heard. And here's the thing. If you don't vote, you have no right to be able to complain about anything. So I don't want to see you not vote and then be like, oh, man, it's just this, this, and this. Like, shut up. Either vote or don't. But if you don't, shut your mouth because you have nothing to be able to say about it. And I love you. (laughs) But here's the flip side of that coin. We were having dinner with somebody this week, and they said this. If you're not praying for your political leaders every day, you have no right to complain. If you're not praying for the president of the United States every day, you have no right to complain. Well, I'm praying. I'm praying that God would strike him. That's not what I'm talking about. (laughs) Not what I'm talking about. If you're not praying for them, you have no right. Well, I'm just going to remove myself from the equation. No, that's wrong. That's not the answer. There's a part that, that we are to play. But Jesus, we have to understand, Jesus came to bring heaven to earth. And now our job is to do the same. Doesn't matter who's in the White House, it doesn't matter who's who's got control of Congress. Because our prayer and our mission should be the same. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And whether it's blue or it's red or it's green or it's yellow or it's some new party that is about to be started, I don't I don't know and I don't care. Like I I care, but I don't care. I play my part but it's not going to weigh me down because it doesn't affect my purpose. My purpose is to be a disciple who makes disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. And whether it's red or it's blue, it's not going to stop me from doing that. Well, but if you're going to lose, they tell us we can't gather. They tell us we can't worship. Then guess what? The church in America will explode because what's happening in China They're meeting in basements and they're meeting behind closed doors and there are people being radically saved left and right. What's happening in in communist countries in South America? The church of Jesus Christ is exploding. Well, why isn't that happening in America? Because you're too comfortable. Closes down for three weeks and we're being persecuted. No, you're not. Go live in Venezuela and talk to me about persecution. Go live in China and talk to me about persecution. Go live in those countries and you'll see the church of Jesus exploding in record numbers. We don't see it in America because you're too comfortable. 
Some of you have been praying for revival for generations and for decades. What if, and just hear me out, I'm not saying and I'm not speaking, I'm not prophesying, I'm not none of those things. I'm just hypothetically, what if the revival that we've been praying for in this country, what if it takes real persecution for us to experience that? Would you still say, okay, bring revival? Like you can say yes in church, but I want you to like think about that. Like what if, what if the United States of America, as we've known it, ceases to exist? And they start coming for the Christians and start coming for the church. But your family, your friends, your coworkers all encounter the love of Jesus and their lives are changed radically. Would you still pray for revival? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. We're so consumed and preoccupied with red waves and blue waves. But when I read the Bible, I see Amos chapter 5 and the only waves and rivers I see are rivers of justice and waves of righteous living. Why don't, we, why, don't, why don't we push for a wave like that? Why don't we get on our social media and talk about, listen, I want to see waves of justice in Omaha. I want to see endless rivers of righteous living in my community. But we're too busy worrying about the color of the next wave. And Jesus is like, you're missing it. You're missing it. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. It matters. You're right, it does matter. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Play your part. Do your, do your job. I'm going to tell you, how, how, do, how do I do that? What does that look like? I'll get to that here in just a second. But, but when Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, he also said, give to God what is God's. And that's a powerful statement because it indicates that there are things that belong to Caesar, but then there are things that don't belong to Caesar. There are things that don't belong to the government. There are things that the government has no business in. There are things that belong to God. The ability to, to determine whose life is more valuable than others doesn't belong to Caesar. The ability to, to determine the, the value of a human life in the womb doesn't belong to Caesar. That belongs to God. The ability to determine that, that one people group is afforded more opportunities than another doesn't belong to Caesar. There are things that only belong to God, and we need to recognize that as 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 followers of Jesus who live as Americans and citizens of this country, there are responsibilities and rights that we have and things that we do because those things belong to Caesar. But then there are also things about the way that we are called to live and the way that we function and the way that we think and the way that we operate. Jesus came to elevate us because there are things that only belong to God. So until we start giving God what is God's, we can't expect Caesar to do what, what God can do when we put those things in his hands. Stop looking at Caesar to solve spiritual problems. Stop looking at Caesar to solve these issues that we're fighting. They're, they're not Caesar issues to solve. They're God issues to solve. But until we put God back on the throne of our hearts, it's never going to happen. I love you. Jesus didn't retaliate. He didn't isolate. He didn't assimilate. He didn't tolerate. And today, you can, you can choose how you engage. You can choose on Tuesday when you enter that, that booth, when you turn on the TV, you watch hours of coverage that night and probably Wednesday and probably Thursday and probably Friday because we probably won't have the results until Monday. But when you watch it and when you read social media posts and when you log into your Instagram account, you can, you can choose how you engage. You can choose to instigate, you can escalate, you can aggravate, 
You can negotiate and you can intimidate. You can manipulate, you can deliberate, you can legislate, you can moderate, you can advocate, you can mandate. You can dictate, you can agitate, you can fixate, you can debate until you're irate. But Jesus came so that you would elevate. He said, I want you to elevate your way of thinking. I want you to elevate the way that you live your life. I want you to elevate the way that you love. I want you to elevate the grace that you walk in and the grace that you extend. I want you to to elevate your thinking and don't get lost in the weeds of this world because you're just a passer through. You're just just a, a, a journeyman who's passing through. This world is not your home. And so you need to focus on the things of God and the kingdom of God because the kingdom is not of this world. And yes, there are things that are Caesar's that that are due Caesar, that it's your responsibility to give to Caesar. But don't give Caesar what only belongs to me. Elevate your way of living. Elevate your perspective and elevate your focus. Your party is not the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world. The hope for our country does not rest in your political party or your favorite candidate. It rests in you living as an ambassador and representative of Jesus and telling the good news about him to everybody you know. You want to make a difference in this world? More difference will be made in the way that you live your life than who you vote for. The reason why we put so much emphasis and we've gotten so politicized to the point where like you can't even touch it without an explosion is because we have have signed over our responsibility to influence our culture to be salt and to be light as preservatives. The reason why we are so politicized is because we've signed over that responsibility to government when it's supposed to be us. You want to change your world? Start here. You will be able to do more by the way that you live your life and how you influence people than how you vote every two or four years. You will be able to do more. So how should we engage? Four things really quick, and then then we're done. How should I engage politically? Number one is prayerfully. Engage prayerfully. As you leave today, there's going to be a table out there And there's going to be a bookmark that I want each of you to stop and take. This bookmark is 30 ways to pray for people in authority. There's 30 different prayers and 30 different scriptures and 30 different things that that daily, you could just take one of these things. First day of the month, pray, number one, that they be God-fearing and recognize that they're accountable to him for each decision and act that they make. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. And then day two, pray that they be granted wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. James 1.5, anyone who lacks wisdom, let him ask. Day three, pray number three. Day four, pray number four. Because if you're not praying for your leader, you have no right to be able to complain or say anything. Are you praying for them daily? That they encounter Jesus, that they lead well, not just that they be removed from office. Before you go in, you need to pray. Holy Spirit, let me, let me have your heart in this. Pray over the candidates. Holy Spirit, lead me into all truth. Open my eyes. Lead me and guide me. Engage prayerfully. Pray for your politicians, not just at the federal level, but at the state level, at the local level, at the school board level. Pray for them daily. Number two, what should we do? How should we engage? We should engage biblically. What do I mean by that? 
Look at the issues of our day and, and seek to understand what God's word says about them. God, this is a, a cold, is this a cultural issue? Is this a social issue? Is this an economic issue? Is this a biblical issue? What does your word have to say about it? And based on how your word says about it, what your word has to say about it, how should I feel about it and respond about it? Listen, I'm tired of the hypocrisy. I'm tired of it on both sides because both parties are hypocrites and Christians who vote for either party have been so hypocritical because we want to call out the injustice or unrighteousness in the others, but we don't want to call out the unrighteousness or the injustice in our own parties. As much as you get mad about the unrighteousness on the left or on the right, get mad about the injustice, start speaking out against your own. Wow, but if I do that, what, you'll look like Jesus? I'm sorry. Prayerfully, we need to engage biblically. Number three, put number three up there. We need to engage responsibly. Do research. Find out on your own. Stop just repeating what the news person tells you because they don't even know. They're just reading a teleprompter. Seriously. They're like Ron Burgundy, just talking heads. And when a word is wrong on the teleprompter, guess what? They say that word. Did you see the ABC News this week? The, the lady on ABC News, and listen, as a Native person, I'm going to say this because I laughed, and all the Native people that I know, we all laughed about it because it's like we, we see it for what it is. But she was talking about Native Heritage Month. Did you know November is Native Heritage Month? Native Heritage Month. Go celebrate. But she's talking about Native Heritage Month, and she says she's, she's going to commercial, and she goes, when we come back, we're going to talk about how all these indigenous creatures are influencing Hollywood and, and pop culture. Now, listen. Listen, I understand. I recognize it was a Ron Burgundy moment because on the teleprompter, I can bet you a million dollars that it said indigenous creators that are influencing Hollywood and pop culture. But as she read it, she read what in her... So she said indigenous creatures. Now I laughed and I'm making a hoodie that says indigenous creature. And if you want one, let me know. But it just goes to show that these people on the news, they are not telling you the facts. They are telling you what you should feel about certain things. So do your own research. Engage responsibly. Don't just take down party line and because the Republicans think this or the Democrats think this, that's how I have to feel about that. No, there are things in the Republican Party that I disagree with. And there are things in the Democrat Party that I disagree with. I will still use my vote and exercise my right, but I have to do so responsibly. We've got irresponsible people going in and making decisions. Nevertheless, let's go on number four. We need to engage compassionately. Rather than just getting up and, and condemning another person or another party or another ideology or another, like, what if you did something about it? Like, what if you, what if you engaged your community in a way that showed that you care about them, not as a vote and not as somebody that can make or do something for you, but you en engaged with them in a way that says, I see you as an image bearer of God. And no, I don't agree with the way that this party votes here, the way that this party believes here, but I'm not just going to let it, let it sit there and not do anything in return, but I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. And, and if I want to I want to advocate against abortion, then I also have to be willing to provide resources to single moms that need them. And I also have to be willing to stand up and if there are people needed to foster these kids. I need to 
to pray and say, Holy Spirit, is this something that you are leading me to? Because when Jesus saw the crowds and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd, his heart broke for them. He had compassion upon them and he healed their sick and he ministered to them. Far be it from us as the church of Jesus Christ to look at the hurts and the needs in our community and not respond with compassion. We want to sign over the responsibility for compassion with our, our vote or our political party. But if you feel that way, then do something about it. We need to respond with compassion. We need to respond responsibly. We need to engage biblically, and we need to begin to pray. Seriously pray every single day. Well, Pastor John, like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this message. <laughs> And I don't know if I'm coming back and I don't know who I'm voting for. And I don't, listen, if you don't know who to vote for, if you were, if if you came in today liking a scene, your response has just been to isolate. I'm just going to withdraw. I can play a part. I don't even know who's on the ballot. When you leave, there's a table out there and there are some voter guides. You can snap a picture. It'll take you to a voter guide so that you can engage prayerfully biblically, responsibly, you can know the issues. See, God, who, who, who aligns with your word and, and in what way? Because there's not one party that aligns with God's word and one that doesn't, like neither, neither party is truly righteous and neither party is truly just. And so, so God, how are you leading me to engage? Maybe you came in and you're a zealot and your sword is sharp and your keyboard is quick and you can type so many words a minute in response to all the things that you see out there. God, are you calling me to, to lay down my sword? God, have I been fighting to promote an earthly kingdom more than I've been fighting to promote your kingdom, which is not of this world? God, am I like the disciples in Acts chapter one, who even after he rose from the dead said, Jesus, is now the time that you're gonna restore the kingdom? Is now the time that you're gonna you're gonna start your party? Is now the time we can start printing brochures? Jesus, is now the time? Is your campaign starting now, Jesus? Are you gonna restore the kingdom to Israel? What were they saying? Are you going to reestablish the kingly line of David? <laughs> Jesus didn't even answer their question. He said, stay here until you receive the Holy Spirit. Because <laughs> you clearly need it. And when you receive them, you'll receive power and you'll be my witnesses because that is what it's all about. Have you been like the Sadducees looking more like the world than you do like Christ? And if you can't beat them, join them. Have you been the Pharisees? Just want to stick your head in the sand and tolerate it as a a necessary evil. This is just what it's going to be rather than engaging and praying and and being the light and being the salt, not just calling people out, but actually living it yourself. The Pharisees were so quick to call people out for their missteps or their wrongdoings. That's why Jesus had such an issue with them. That you're so quick to call them out, but when's the last time you looked in the mirror? Listen, it's, it's an important week. If you haven't voted, you need to vote. I'm not gonna tell you who to vote for. It's what the voter guides are for. But what I'm going to tell you is regardless of what happens, Jesus is still on the throne. He is still sovereign. He is still the one who puts people into positions of authority and he causes nations and kingdoms to rise and to fall. 
And we can't believe that God is sovereign in our lives and not believe that God is sovereign overall at the same time. So regardless of what happens, Jesus is on the throne and my mission doesn't change to see his kingdom come and to see his will be done. In my life first and in my family and in my church and in my neighborhood and in my community and my city and my state and my country and around the world. Lord, help us to engage. Jesus came that we would elevate. Would you elevate your perspective this week? Would you elevate your way of life this week? Would you elevate the way that you engage this week? Rather than taking off your old self and putting on your new self, covering yourself in political ideologies or leanings, but cover yourself in Jesus. Cover yourself in truth and in righteousness and in justice and in grace and in mercy and with loving kindness. Holy Spirit, would you produce that fruit in our lives? Lord, we love you. We thank you for the freedoms that we have in this country. God, we thank you for the freedoms that men and women have, have died to provide and died to protect and are still sacrificing daily on our behalf. Lord, this week as we engage in this process and as we give to Caesar what is Caesar's, Lord, I pray that you would help us to do so prayerfully, that we would do so biblically, that we would, we would do so compassionately, that we would do so respectfully, that we would do so graciously. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for withdrawing. Forgive us for retaliating. Forgive us for assimilating. Forgive us for tolerating. We God, I pray that as we go from this place, you would help us to elevate. That we would not see with our physical eyes, but that we would see what you see, that we would not hear with our physical ears, but we would hear what you hear. Holy Spirit makes us sensitive to your voice. Lord, thank you for the example, Jesus, that you gave for us today. Even, even when choosing your disciples, the fact that you chose a zealot and a tax collector to follow you together, unified in mind and in purpose, shows that as a diverse people group today, we can come together, we can follow you unified in mind and in purpose because you have brought us together. It's not about political leanings, it's about making your kingdom known. So Lord, may we do that today. May we do that this week and may we do that every week moving forward. We love you. We thank you. Be with us in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. I love you guys. God bless you. Stop by the table, pick up a prayer guide, scan if you need a voter guide, but make sure that, that you're prepared for Tuesday. Here at Dream City Omaha, we're all about three things, helping each other discover Christ, recover identity, or uncover purpose. We hope that this message helps serve one of those three goals, and we encourage you to check out our past sermon series and online classes, no matter where you are in your walk with Christ.